This is Pastor Tyrone Moorhead from First Baptist Church of Upper Marlboro. The two hardest words to say in the English language together, by the way. Upper Marlboro. Uh, too many R's there. Uh, but anyway, uh, Pastor Tyrone uh, works uh, as the executive pastor there, and he has his family with him. I'd uh, let you tell uh, us more about yourself and your family. Uh, let's welcome Pastor Tyrone to the Garden Church. Praise God. Uh, what a blessing it is to be here this morning, uh, an honor. I uh, can't do anything but praise God. What a wonderful and beautiful church you have here. Uh, me and my wife were saying it's so reminiscent. When we first started a church plant, this brings back memories of what it means and how the fellowship and, and how worship uh, comes together. So just love your spirit and just love worshiping together with you. Uh, my wife is here, Sharon. My two sons, um, Cameron and Julian, and Cameron's friend, Brittany. And, and from what I found out, Brittany used to go to school right across the street, if I'm not mistaken. So she's a homegirl. But uh, Cameron is here at Morgan. And so, uh, again, it was, a, it was a great honor to come up um, when Joel invited uh, to be in Baltimore because we want to see the places of worship and just worship together. So thank you, Joel, and um, again, thank you, Garden Church. And so one of the things I, I, I was very happy to see uh, going in, I didn't know I was going to be here for a baptism. What a wonderful joy. And praise God for all of those testimonies that inspired and really helped us understand the movement and what God is doing in lives, uh, rescuing those from the grips of Satan and rescuing them out and understanding this is something, as we're going to talk about today, this is something God does. It isn't something that we go and we can make a way. God has made a way through Christ, and we acknowledge that and we accept that. And so what a praise to be able to accept and, and, and clap and praise with the angels when one more comes into the kingdom of God. So praise God, praise God. So, having said all of that, and Pastor Zach also sends his prayers and wishes, and again, thanks everyone. Uh, Pastor Zach and I have been working together for a little bit, and I think that's how Joel and I met, but our, our staff and everyone has been praying for you and praying for the church as they continue to grow and God blesses and continues to move you into the community, we will be making those same prayers for you. But on behalf of uh, First Baptist of Upper Marlboro, we thank you again. Um, today, our passage is going to be a little bit coming back from the old. And hopefully it'll be a reminder, but as well, I pray it encourages. Because as I've heard the testimonies and I've seen uh, how many times we can go through life and yet think that we're in a particular situation, think that we are in a particular condition, only to find out that's really not the case. And so today we're going to go back into this wonderful gospel, or I should say this wonderful epistle of the gospel writer John, and we're going to look at the first epistle of John. First John, we're going to be looking at that today. So if you have your Bibles, and you could turn to 1 John 5, 
And we're going to look at 1 John 5. I'm going to read the Scripture. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go into the lesson. So if you turned your Bibles to 1 John 5, and we're going to start at the very first verse. And in fact, I'm going to read just a little bit before that. My text will come from verse 5, um, 1 through 5. But uh, just to give us a little bit of context, I'm going to start us back up in chapter 4. And I'm going to start from verse 13. So if you have in your Bibles, John, 1 John 5, I'm sorry, 4, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. I'll begin reading. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for the fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Then starting in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is love, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let us go before the Lord. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you once again. Father, for being here with us, being in our very presence for, Lord, allowing us to praise you and glorify you with our mouths and with instruments and with words, Lord, that just give samples of the joy that you have given us. And so now, Lord, as your word comes forward, please let it rest upon the hearts, Father. May the utterances that come forward not be utterances of my mind, but utterances of the Spirit that will rest upon your people and guide them, Lord, in what you say through your word. We thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name. We give you honor and praise in Christ, we pray. Amen. So today, I want to preach from the passage and the message, Passing the Test of Life. Passing the Test of Life. 
One of the things that John helps us do, and John brings out so well in this epistle, are tests by which we might understand who we are. Before I go there, I want to tell you about a story. The New York Times wrote a story about a goldsmith, a, a, a chemical engineer, who actually had a diamond shop, and he was a trader of gold. And in this transaction that he came about, he came about these bars of gold that someone was selling at a very good price. Now him being an engineer and also being a gold purveyor, he looked at the package, he looked at the deal, he had done business with this person before. The ingots were in perfect condition. They had the seal of the Swiss bank on them, and they were worth a hefty profit. But the condition that the seller was saying is that they could not sell it for cash. They wanted to trade the, his bars of gold for them. Because his were a little bit more smaller, he thought that I've done business with this individual before. This is a good deal. So he measured it, he looked at it, and he made the transaction. He was elated. It was a great deal, or so he thought. One of his friends called up and says, hey, be on the lookout, because someone is pawning off fake gold, and they're selling it in ingots, in bars, 10-ounce bars, and he was like, oh my goodness, I just bought or traded what I thought was it, but he's like, it has the seal on it, he has everything on it. And here I am, the one who knows how to test for gold. And yet, what he came to find out, calling the Secret Service, and had them come and look at the gold, and as he began to drill into the gold bars, lo and behold, they were fake. What the, what the seller had done is filled the gold bars with tungsten, and if anyone knows about tungsten, because I take it you all are metallurgic and understand all of that, but if you know the properties of tungsten, it has the same weight, it has the same characteristics as gold, and with him having put over the seal and the coating, it looked and felt and, and, and acted just like the real thing. The problem is it was fake. And when he found out about it, needless to say, he was extremely distraught. It left him feeling hollow and had. Well, we can be taken like that too. In this market today, with gold being sold and being bought and purchased, we get tempted to do it ourselves. But if you find out, there is a test to find out whether or not you actually have real gold. And this test consists of five things. Whoa. <laughs> okay. There's a stamp test, an acid test, a magnet test, a float and rust and skin test. And you can go through these tests before you give gold, and it will tell you whether or not you have real gold or fake gold. And so these characteristics can be applied, and therefore you can find out what you're dealing with. And so when we look at today, John 
as we're going to look in the book of John, and as we're going to look in the epistle of John, John says, I have something more precious than gold. I have your faith in mind. And one of the things that applying these tests like to gold, John says, apply to your life because it will tell you whether or not you're a believer or not, whether or not God is in you or whether or not you are one of the false believers, whether or not you can be authenticated as a Christian or whether or not you've been deceived and yet you are not. And so these tests that John gives similarly give us confidence that we have eternal life in God, that we are God's children, and that God is whom we trust and proclaim, and we are not deceived into believing a false and different God. And so that's where John's going to be coming from, and that's where we're going to be looking at how can we authenticate in showing that we have the true power and that we're genuine in our belief, and that's where John begins to bring this message. So in your Bibles, just a fast, quick background. John is writing this during a time when the church is going through a rough period. John is near the end of his life, and he's getting to the latter parts of his life, and, and the, the, the Christians have been going through some things at this time. So I believe John wrote this while he was in Ephesus, and so they had already been going through the, the, the torment and the trials with Nero, and Nero burning Christians and all the persecutions that were going on. There were the things that were still happening and believed that the temple had already been destroyed at this time. And so the Jews were being persecuted. And there was just all of this destruction. And there was all of this um, 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 uh, persecution going on. And yet these churches in this region we're still trying to maintain the faith. On top of that, they had false teachers that had come into the congregations, and they were telling them that because of what they believed in and the issues that were going on, that their gospel wasn't enough, that Christ really didn't come as a flesh human being. And some of you may know about the religions or the beliefs in docetism and the Gnosticisms that were going on during this time. Well, they had infiltrated the church and they were starting to pull believers away thinking that they had to have special knowledge. It wasn't enough to know the Gospels. It wasn't enough to know what the apostles were teaching. They had to have enlightenment. They wanted to make sure that they followed after them and not after Christ. And so John hurries and writes this letter so that he might assure them that they are the children of God and that those who have left them are not the children, for if they were and if they were the true light, then they would still be there. And so he goes on to explain to them, how do you know that I'm telling you the truth, how do you know that you have actually received the gospel that saves? How do you know that eternal life is yours? And he gives them test so that they might be assured of this. And so today, just as you would take your goal 
to the best way to find out if it's gold, take it to an authorized dealer. Take it to someone who can certify and has expertise that can go through the test and tell you this is real gold. Well, John is the apostle that walked with Jesus, that laid on his breast at the table, that went through the trials, that knows him. It is the apostle whom Christ loved, and John is an authority who can say, this is the real thing. This is life eternal. This is the Holy Spirit and the gospel which you believe, which will save you and will bring you into the kingdom forever. And so we're going to look at three quick tests that John unfolds in this. And so in verse 1, the first test that John brings out, he says there's three tests, and we're going to hit each one of those. First one is the test of faith in Jesus Christ. The second one is going to be obedience to Jesus's commandments, to the commandments of God. And then the final one is going to be love for God and others. Off these three tests, you can know whether or not you are part of God's kingdom, whether you are part of God's people, whether you are God's children or not. And so we're going to look at that. So let's quickly look at the first test, faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you look in your scriptures in verse 1, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. The source of life, notice how he puts it, everyone who believes in Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The, the Christian confession it's rooted in the Spirit offering conviction, regeneration, and faith. If there's one thing that the apostle makes plain in his gospel and in his epistles, and this is important, that the work of God begins in heaven and not on earth. This passage is helping us to understand faith in Christ isn't what we muster up. Faith in Christ is what God sends down. And so when you look at that text in your Bibles, it says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, notice those words. I don't know, Joel, do you guys use the ESV? Okay. And the ESV, it says, has been born of God. This is an act that already occurred. Okay. Belief isn't because I believe and then receive God. It's I have been born of God, and in that birth, I receive faith. And this is important. Why? Because it begins in heaven and not with us. I can't do anything to muster up enough faith to believe in God. I can't do any actions or read any books or go through all of this. Unless God starts the process, I am done for. There is no hope. And praise be to God, by his grace, he gives us the unmerited favor of placing faith in us. 
It is an act of God. So God is the one who's doing the first action. And he says, has been born of God. So we understand it's a past tense item that has present tense value. Okay? The way that word is placed in it, it was once done and I am living in it today. Okay? And so now that I can understand that in God giving me faith, I live by that faith, and that the birth exists in present time, that's regeneration. Thus, in the context of preaching the gospel and hearing this, we understand that it's God who raises men. And we need to understand it's not us, because at the end of the day, we were dead in our trespasses. Only God raises the dead. Dead men can't make decisions. Lazarus is a perfect example. Lazarus didn't muster up enough faith to come out the grave. Jesus called him. And God says, you can't come to him. Jesus even said, you couldn't come to me unless my father calls you. So we're clear faith starts, having faith in Jesus Christ, it starts with the act of God. And God is the one who brings forth. And therefore, we find ourselves in a great confirmation. God has given us freedom in Christ. He's given us life in Christ. But the other thing that it does is it makes us a new man. The rebirth is all of God. Listen to what Jesus says. In John 3, 5, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, he's talking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so we find then that this is something that God provides, and it's a new thing. Excuse me, I'm going to have to take off. <laughs> it's a little bit warm up here, so excuse me for a sec. Thank you, guys. Okay. And so that's the one element of faith. First of all, it's God doing the action. God's the one who brings us forth. Secondly, faith is clearly, has a clearly defined object. What does the passage say? Faith in Christ, Jesus as Christ. Faith in Jesus as the Messiah. If the object of our faith is bad, then everything else that comes along with it is bad. You can have great faith, but it's the object of your faith that makes that faith worthwhile. If we think about the issues that go on today, we've seen great faith. Many religions have great faith. The one we will remember, unfortunately, in our country is the faith that led people to drive or people to fly their planes into buildings, killing thousands in our country. They had great faith, but the object of their faith is in a false god. But the object of our faith is in a living God. 
And the object of our faith is what strengthens. The object of our faith is Christ Jesus. So faith God gives us. The first test that God says is, do you have faith in the right thing? And that is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? That's if you know, that's one of the ways in which you know I'm a believer is because I have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ was a great teacher. I have faith in that. I believe he walked the earth. There's history books all over. It's like, no, the Son of God. I have faith that he is God, that he lived as a man who came from heaven, who was, who was ordained by God to be our substitution as only God could, who atoned for our sins, who was hung on a cross and who died not because he was sinful, but to take the place of sinful man. And I believe that it was, subs it was a suitable substitution. Why? Because I believe he rose again. I believe he reigns right now, and he is reigning over his kingdom of which I'm a part. That's the Jesus Christ I have faith in. Why? Because that's the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. So the object of our faith then is important. And finally in that one, faith has a clear observable result. It results and it drops down into verse 4 and 5. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith overcomes the world? But Tyrone, I'm still going through stuff. There's still things going on in my life. How is my faith overcoming the world, and yet I still may not have a job? I still may be having problems with my children. I still may not have enough money to make it to the end of the month. I still may be suffering illnesses and people still may be persecuting me and it still seems like everything is going crazy in our world and yet we're here. How are we overcoming the world with our faith? And the great thing about it is God is using your faith in Christ to bend the world in all of those situations, to bend the world to be your footstool, stepping up to the riches and the glory that is in Christ Jesus. You see, our world is a kingdom world. And when God says your faith is that which overcomes the world, God is talking about the faith in Christ that is able to take these circumstances and say, this is not my world. This is a fallen world. But yet God is allowing in his sovereignty and in his will the allowance of these to do what? Strengthen my faith. See, the object that we have and the glory that we have is that our circumstances help build and strengthen our faith that we might trust in the only one who does have the ability to overcome the world, and that's Christ Jesus. We're not looking for us. We're looking for him. 
We're looking for him to spread the gospel to those who it's not about whether or not you have a paycheck at the end of the month. It's whether or not you will spend eternity in hell. That gospel is what saves. Having all the money, having all of the advantages, the conveniences, all the love for people who might hate you, all of that is worthless if when you die, you spend eternity separated and apart from God. We have the secret, our faith is what allows us to come above this because we know this is not our final place. Our hope is in an everlasting Christ. And so we place our faith in Christ, and that is what helps us start using the world in order to launch us into the very will of God. So we have the faith, and one of the other tests then that comes with that, we know that it's the testing of our faith or whether or not we have faith in Christ. But then what secondly? Secondly, Paul, I mean, John brings out obeying and keeping the commandments. In verse 2, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments And his commandments are not burdensome, and that's important. And his commandments are not burdensome. So when we look at keeping God's commands, we learn about this passage, and we say one of the things that God is teaching us is that if we obey God by keeping his commandments, we are very far and if we're only doing it because we're fearful that God might punish us, then we're operating in an obedience that's not out of love, and that's not what God is asking us to do in obeying his commandments. This obedience that, that John is bringing to their attention is an obedience for following the commandments of God out of love. And yet he adds that qualifier and he says, and they're not grievous, they're not burdensome. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find keeping all of God's commandments somewhat burdensome. They constrict. I can't do everything that I'd like to do. I can't say everything that I'd like to say, okay? And so, but John is saying, that shouldn't be the case, that they should not be grievous. Why? What's the context? The context is when we love God, but by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God, when we love God and keep his commandments. Love is what prompts us to do what only God can do with us. He is talking about the moral law. He's saying that this does not become grievous to the Christian, and it shouldn't be. Why? Because I'm in love with God. Now, some of us know when you were in love, it's been some years now when me and my wife were dating, but some of you are very young in a relationship. And when you're young in a relationship and you're 
future husband or your future wife, and you're going through this dating process, and they say, honey, could you go down the street, lift up 15 cars, and speak up under there and grab that dime and bring it back up here, and you say, I would love to do that for you. And you will find that there is nothing that they could ask. You are waiting for them to ask you to do something. Why? Because I love them. There is no task that's too hard. And then we get married. No. <laughs> and it still goes on. It just grows even more. But we know what it means to do something out of love. We will do things for our family that we won't do for strangers. Why? Because we love our family. Well, God is saying, when you love me, when my love is in you and the Spirit is building love in you, guess what? You don't mind doing whatever I command you. And we find this in scriptures. I love this. Just really quick, turn to Psalm, well, you don't have to turn there. Psalm 119, I'll turn there. Listen to how when we think that oh, following God's laws, following his rules are, are just, they're so drudgery. But listen to what the psalmist says in 119. Longest scripture, longest passage in the Bible, but it has great rewards for us understanding some of the attitude and the heart of one who loves God. Listen to how he explains his love for God's word. It says in verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. In verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In verse 25, give me life according to your word. My strength uh, strengthen me according to your word. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Behold, I long for your precepts. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes. I will keep them to the end. Does that sound like someone who is saying, oh Lord, please don't give me just one more of those commandments. This is someone who delights in the Lord. And why? Because he loves the Lord. This is what God is saying. How do you know that you are mine? Because you love me, and therefore you love my commandments. They're not drudgery to you. You actually do find creative ways to do things and get things done because my love is in you. And so we find that his love is what uh, prompts us uh, to obey his commandments. And the other thing is Jesus himself. Listen to his words in Matthew. Come to me, all who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, gives us the ability to do the things and to honor God with his commandments and live a life that treasures the commandments. Why? Because what I find difficult, I lay it on Christ. 
He is able to do what I can't do. I don't count on keeping commandments to make me right before God. Jesus already made me right before God, so he's already taken the heavy lift, the burdens. Why are we continuing to walk around with the burdens on us when Jesus is saying, give me your burdens? And so many of us right now are walking around with burdens that we should not be bearing. Many of us are not confessing to Christ what is going on in our lives, and we're not confessing to one another, and we're trying to do things. Some might even be doing things because they believe I'm pleasing God by doing it to the point to where it's a burden. We do it because we love God, not because I believe I got to get favor points with God and that I have to do this. I need to begin learning how to cast some burdens on Christ and let him take that load so that I can continue loving and enjoying and using the energy, the strength, the grace he gives me to go and do what God calls me to do. And what does he call us to do? What is the great commandment that John loves to talk about? And it's the last test. Love one another. Love one another and love God. Do I have, if I say I am a Christian, if I say that I believe that God is God and Christ is the Son of God, and yet I do not love my brother in Christ, well, John mixes no words. He says, point blankly, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you, because how can you love God, the Father, who creates the family of Jesus the head, and we are following being adopted and being grafted into the family. We have a common father, and that is God. And so out of God's familial love, he says, if you love me, then you will show it by how you love one another. And so today, one of the things that we really do want to understand is, but how does God, how do I love others as I love God? How does God love us? God loves us in a way that says, yet while you were still sinners— Yet while you were still caught up in your junk, yet while you were still doing all kinds of wicked things, yet while you were still rebelling against my love, yet while you were still basically hanging my son on the cross, I loved you. Christ loved you and gave his life for you. God demonstrates a love that says, I love them not because of the actions that they do, I love them because of who they are. They are my children. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. We follow the pattern that Christ did for us by how we love one another. I love looking at the congregation because this is what God's house should look like. Love for one another. Tongues, nations, race, ethnicities, age, sex, children, adults, This is God's house, 
And God's house should reflect how God says, this is how my kingdom is. Why? Because I am building a kingdom and I am bringing in all of those whom I call. And I am making them brothers and sisters. And this will be how the world knows that you're mine by how you love one another. John, once again, speaking about this. This is important for John, and it should be important for us too. And so when we look at this and we say, how do we love one another? We have so many opportunities to show love one to another. Oftentimes, we want to be around the person that's the most popular. We want to be around the person that has uh, the most going for them. They have opportunities. They have all of this. But it's sometimes hard to deal with those who may be going through struggles, those who may call us at weird times of the hour, of the night, those who seem to always be needing a little bit more help than the next person. And we have a tendency to shy away from them. And we tend to think, well, that's somebody else's responsibility. There are others in the body. I don't want to hog up all the love for them, so I'll let others minister to them. When God is saying, that's your responsibility. These are the people you're going to be spending. I always love that example. When you look around and say, this is my brother and my sister in Christ, I'm not just going to be spending the rest of my life with them. I'm going to be spending all eternity with them. And so one of the things we want to be able to really begin looking and patterning ourselves after is, again, this love for one another. And so when we think about these, that God has given us these great tests, he's given us the tests that have faith in Jesus Christ, he's given us the test of obedience to his commandments, and he's given us the test for loving others. If I can say that this is my heart, that I do have faith in Christ as Jesus or Jesus as Christ, the Messiah, if I do love and want to obey God, I don't do it perfectly, but he is, he is building me, molding me. And so I keep putting myself in position to honor and obey him. And I do love my brothers and sisters, no matter what they look like, no matter what they uh, uh, put us through, and no matter what I put others through. I love the people of God. Well, then God says, and John says, based off of this test, guess what? You are God's child. God is your father, and these are the ways in which he keeps circling it around through that epistle. These three things, obeying the commands, loving God and loving one another, and faith in Christ is the assurances we have, and this is how he concludes. (laughs) And so I'll leave this last one um, of an assurance that I pray encourages us. And it says John leaves them because he doesn't want them to be deceived. He doesn't want them to be walking around thinking and having others as we do today with many religions, politics, world disasters, everything. People get in our minds and they start to make us doubt who we are. They might think that other things need to get added into Christianity to make it more worthwhile. And John says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's very simple. It's all about Jesus. 
And so today, you may be here and you had to go through this test. And one of the things you're asking is, am I a believer? Is this a call that God has given that today might be the day that he has actually been talking to me? And friends, I just want you to know that's okay because here's the place where you can come and find out. Here's where you can talk to Pastor Joel and the elders. Here's where you can be in fellowship and find out what does the Word of God say because we want you to know God for sure and not going around with a hope-so faith but a no-so faith that would give you confidence, assurance, and the victory in Christ to live a life here and then forevermore with him. And today, that call might be going out to you. So hear this, and uh, I pray God would bless us with the message and with his promises. Uh, Let us go before the Lord. Most gracious and heavenly Father, how we thank you for having loved us. How we thank you, Lord, for having given us the greatest gift we could ever receive and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, though we know it doesn't cost us anything, it costs you everything. And though we know that the gift of Christ is free, it didn't come cheap. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for how you have blessed us. I thank you for your word that gives us confidence and assurance and the hope that is in Christ. And I pray, God, that as we reflect upon these words, that, Lord, you would move in our hearts Even if it's old news that's been reawakened, we pray, Lord, that we would take this message and we would continue to spread it everywhere, for it is the gospel message. And we pray, Lord, that we would live it out and that, Father, we would be able to bring many sons to glory in Christ Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.